team. And if you are able to stand, <clears throat> if you're able to stand in honor of God's word, let's go ahead and look at these scriptures together. Okay, so in a moment, my last wife will be singing a special. I introduce myself often as the pastor's wife's husband. I don't know if I can cover for myself after, but I'll, anyways, here we go. Verse 1, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake. Do not name your daughters Herodias. <clears throat> when I see something gross, I call it Herodias. Verse 4, for John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake and them that sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. He was afraid of the multitude, so they did it in the prison. Verse 11, And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. The title, John, you did your job. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are thankful for the word of God. We pray that you bless the service this morning. We're grateful to be assembled together around your word where there's hope, there's encouragement, there's light, there's truth rather than confusion. We pray that you'd bless this assembly. I pray that they would sense your love, your presence in this room. I pray, Father, that uh, you would speak to us individually. May everybody that is here feel as though the message is for them. And I pray, Lord, that you bless our special music, prepare our hearts to hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we, uh, we need each other. How many of you uh, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're not the majority in this country. We are outnumbered. So it's nice to get together and have a little family reunion here. Every Sunday ought to be that way. 
Well, in light of uh, the uh, different families who have experienced the death of a loved one over the past week, the Lord has uh, kind of redirected me as I've studied the passage, and it may be the Lord used has used this to help me see some things I need to see. When we uh, <clears throat> look at this narrative uh, in the context, verse 1, it says, at that time. So the prior chapter, you'll see the chapter breakup, that was inserted later on. Nevertheless, I'm thankful, or we'd still be looking for chapter 14. Um, there's a connection here. Jesus has been preaching in his own country for a while, ministering there, and the Bible says he couldn't do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. That is always a hindrance, unbelief. And so God wants us to know, though that was the case in his own country, at that time, at that time, somebody else, word was still being spread. Word of the gospel, word of Jesus Christ was being spread in the highways and the hedges, in the palaces and the prisons, it was being spread. And God specifically wants us to know about this man, King Herod. Now I'm going to just show you three things here. We're going to look at Herod's guilt, John's witness, and John's disciples. Now, the narrative begins, at least the scriptures that I read, it begins with Jesus. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. We concluded with, and went and told Jesus. It's important for you, it's important for me to understand that Jesus is the keynote character throughout the Bible, and certainly in the New Testament, anybody else that is mentioned, anybody else that is mentioned in the Bible, they're only mentioned in connection as a contemporary or friend or foe of Jesus. The only thing that leaves them on the eternal word of God is their connection with Jesus Christ. It's very important that you and I get connected to Jesus Christ. That is in the right way. And so, <clears throat> he is the centerpiece of the New Testament. Now, <clears throat> the good news for you this morning. This won't be a long message. At least it's not. In my mind, I see this being a short message. I really do. The bad news is, I've said that before. <laughs> but honestly, in my heart, I, I feel like I could probably say all of this in 20 minutes. So hopefully they get their sermon done in junior church. So the good news, it could be short. The bad news is, it may not be. We do have a baptism, so we will make sure we get that taken care of. First of all, I want us to look at Herod's guilt. Once again, if you'll take a peek at verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. Now, I believe something always happens to the heart of a human being when they hear of Jesus Christ. There's always something. There's always some response, some decision, some behavioral response when you hear of Jesus Christ. I'm curious, just uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but does it bring joy to your heart when somebody mentions his name in a way that's positive? There's a lot of people in the world that it doesn't do a thing to. Verse 2 says this. 
It says, And said unto his servants, Herod said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Now, I'm going to uh, give an opinion. And I will always be honest when I'm just giving an opinion. That means you could differ in your opinion. We can still be friends. My opinion is, Herod, at the name of Jesus and the fame of Jesus, is being reminded of his own guilt. And paranoia is striking. Inspectors are in his heart and his mind. He thinks Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. Well, he's wrong. We know that. But we see his guilt coming to the surface. And when we have done wrong, fortunately, I need to say fortunately, the Lord knows how to bring that to the surface. Because it's not healthy, number one, to cover our sins. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. That may be the problem with American Christianity. We've been covering stuff up. We've been covering lukewarmness up too long. We've been covering immorality up too long. We've been covering a whole lot of things that are wrong in the sight, unlawful in the sight of God. Covering it up because we don't want to offend. But the fact of the matter is, uh, if you want Jesus, you've got to take his whole word, not just part of his word. Herod is feeling this guilt. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember attending service, and I remember feeling guilt. Anybody ever felt guilt in a church service? Well, let me encourage you. If you felt guilt in a church service because of actual sin, then you were in the right kind of church. That's not a bad thing. I'll tell you where it's dangerous. Here's where it gets really bad is when you no longer feel guilt for doing wrong. That's a scary place to get in society when sinful, wicked, self-destructive behavior no longer bothers you. That's a bad place to be. It's like losing your conscience. Most of you know who Tony Dungy is. His son had a disease, and I don't know the name of the disease, but he had a disease where uh, he didn't have the uh, sense of feeling in his hands, and he could put his hand on a hot stove and it burned the skin right off and not know it. That's a scary thing. And to be without guilt or remorse for wrongdoing, that's a scary place to be. The Bible calls that reprobate. Thank God, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any sense of guilt at all, that's a good thing. We can thank God for that. On the same token, on the same token, I believe that we can have an exaggerated guilt if we have confessed and we have forsaken. Well, sometimes people can feel guilty about things that they don't have to feel guilty about anymore. And you only feel guilty because the devil keeps reminding you of stuff that Jesus has forgiven you about. Hello? Because we serve a great forgiver. Confessing and forsaking the sin, Jesus says, I've taken care of it. That is a blessing. That's a blessing. But Herod, he's feeling the guilt here. And he needs to feel the guilt. Rightfully so. Well, so we see his response immediately. We see his guilt. But then from verse 3 through 11, we see John's witness. And it's as though the verse 1 and 2 are present tense in our context. 
And then verse 3, and I don't know how long, maybe all the way to verse 14, is past tense. Because it seems to all be connected. But in verse 3, we see why Herod would feel guilty. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Now here's the deal. You're only reading the Matthew account. This is on now, right? I can walk around. In the Mark account, we learn this. We learn this. There's more about this story in the Mark account, Mark chapter 6. What we discover in the Mark chapter 6 account is uh, Herod actually liked to listen to John, even though he felt guilty. And the Bible tells us he did, he did mighty things, or uh, Herod did a lot of wonderful things. I, I have no idea what they were. I don't know if he gave to love offerings or what. And it's not like that's going to get you forgiveness of sins. But he, in Mark chapter 6, we see his attitude toward John. There, it, it, you read it, and it's like, oh, he wanted to put him to death, but he was afraid of the multitude. He wanted to put him to death because of his wife that he had taken from his brother. This uh, Herodias lady is a wicked woman. She's the Jezebel of the New Testament. If you don't know who Jezebel is, I don't have time to share that with you. But <clears throat> uh, Herod, he wasn't innocent by no means. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had more power than his brother, and he took his brother's wife, and his brother's wife agreed, and, and so there they are. But it's not going to escape the mighty eye of God, and God had a voice on planet Earth. I said God had a voice. As a matter of fact, when we first read about John in John chapter 1, when we first read about him, uh, they come to John, they say, who do you think you are? And John says, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. I'm a voice. He's a pointer is what he was. He's just a pointer. And that's the best you and I can do as a believer is just be a pointer. I can't do any more than get you to Jesus. I can't. If I can get you to Jesus, <laughs> that's all I can do. That's the best I can do for you. And that's the best you can do for anybody else. So John's been pointing people to Jesus. And John, though, in pointing people to Jesus, he's pointing out the truth. And in his society, he obviously, uh, Herod was in the audience one day, and John knew what was going on, and old John said, it's unlawful that you've taken your brother's wife. Maybe he called him out in the crowd. Well, he didn't know better. He didn't know you had to be politically correct to fit in. Well, that's never been God's policy, and so this voice speaks the truth, and oh, Herodias heard about that, and she got upset at John. And so... Herod had to do something to accommodate his Herodias. That's what I'm going to call him, his Herodias. So he says, dear Herodias, here's what I'll do. I'll take John, I'm going to put him in prison. He feared the multitude, didn't want to kill him. Something to be said about fearing the multitude. But anyways, they put him in, the, put him in prison, he waits there. He waits there. But eventually, eventually, after some time expires, they had this big party celebrating Herod's birthday. And Herodias has a daughter who does a dance. 
I don't know what kind of dance it was. I don't know what was going on, what kind of music was going on. I'm sure they were drinking alcohol. They weren't thinking right. And there was all kinds of nonsense taking place. But nevertheless, uh, Herod, he enjoys it. And he wants, to be a, he wants to do something for this young lady, his so-called stepdaughter. He says, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And Herodias, Mama Bear, says to her daughter, ask for John the Baptist's head. Because he's just publicly said he'll give you anything up to half his kingdom. Ask for it. Because now, in order for him to save face, he has to keep his word. Tell him. And so, the young lady goes to Herod and says, I'd like you to bring John the Baptist's head in a charger on a plate, on a platter. And the Bible says he did it. He didn't feel good about it, but he did it. And they did it in prison. Why did he do that? Well, we see John the Baptist's witness. John the Baptist was a faithful witness for God, for the truth, for the truth. The world's running out of them right now, ladies and gentlemen. I realize it's a difficult thing to stand for truth nowadays. I realize that. I realize in the school system, in our culture, and even at place of, places of employment in town here, oh, they've got all this diversification training to teach you what's right and what's wrong. I'm here to tell you, thus saith the Lord is always the truth. It's, you, it may not always be comfortable. It may not always be culturally, culturally uh, approved, but I'm here to tell you it's heavenly approved. And the only way to get the blessing of God, and the only way to get the peace of God, and the only way to get the joy of God is fall in line with God. Amen. Now listen, the, the reality is every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us have done wrong. Every single one of us have broke the laws of God. And if you'll admit to that, you're, you're just agreeing with God, and you're putting yourself in a position where God can help you. You're like the sick patient who goes to the doctor and says, I know I'm ill, I need your help. And then the doctor says, I can help you. But if you say, well, I don't need that, then you're like the person that's got cancer and says, I don't need to go to the doctor. You're like the person that's, that's got some type of flesh-eating disease and says, I don't need the doctor, I can handle this on my own. Well, you go ahead and handle it on your own while you self-destruct. But I'm here to tell you that Dr. Jesus is available. He's in his office right now accepting sinners by the multitude. And many of you have already made an appointment. Many of you have already been there and you've come out and he's given you the medicine you needed. He gave you the grace you needed and you got eternal life, number one. Because you put faith in Jesus Christ. It all starts right there. In the meantime, you've got to live in this old body that's corrupted by flesh, by sin. But oh, stay plugged into Jesus. He'll continue to help you through it all. But the reality is, in our culture, those of you that know Christ in our culture, they need a witness. They need the truth. And it's not comfortable. It's, it's not always convenient. But let me just say some things here, since I'm preaching. Uh, adultery still sin. And if adultery still sin, I guarantee you homosexuality is still sin. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, uh, abortion is still sin. It's still murder. Now, I realize that's not convenient in many of our uh, high-educated uh, societies today. People have got too smart for God, and they think they've got, got it all figured out while they're imploding. But I'm here to tell you that the Word of God will remain. And either we can fall on the Word, or the Word will fall on us. Uh, so John's witness... John's witness has an effect. 
Now let's consider some things about John's witness here. In John chapter 1, verse 26, we see him preaching and baptizing at the Jordan River. He's got a large crowd, a large following, and he started his ministry six months prior to the Lord Jesus starting his public ministry. I mean, people, most likely by the thousands, are coming along the riverbank to hear him preach, and he didn't tell a whole lot of jokes. He just spoke the truth. He was a strange character. He was a, some of them just came out of curiosity. This fellow, it comes in, in uh, camel's, uh, camel skin hair and, and uh, leather, and, and he, he eats grasshoppers and honey. There's some strange things. A big, long, hairy beard. Uh, I wish I could grow one, but I can't, so I had to shave this morning. Uh, uh, but uh, here he comes, and I'm sure he's just a curiosity for the crowd. And out of his mouth comes the word of truth, and people listen, and people respond. But on one particular day, a man comes distinct from all other men that have ever been born on this earth. A man comes walking near John. And as he comes walking near John, John the Baptist recognized him because he was told by God that this was going to happen. This day was going to come. I don't even know. I don't even know if John the Baptist realized it was his cousin. I don't know if he really knew it until the voice from heaven told him, that's him, that's him. When he saw that dove settle down upon Jesus. He looked over at him and he says, so that's him. I've known him for a long time. And he looks back at the crowd and he makes this statement, ladies and gentlemen. He declares, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That was big news to the Jew. Big news to the Jew because they understood what that meant. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. See, they practice what is called the Passover. They sacrifice lambs for an atonement or, or a covering of sins. And so they understood the principle. Uh, those were just a shadow of the real thing. And Jesus, Jesus would be that final sacrifice for the sins of all mankind, not just the Jew. And John the Baptist is the first to really point that out. There he is, there he is, there he is. What a man old John was. He had some disciples. He had followers. Matter of fact, he had men that were close to him. After Jesus is baptized, a few of his followers began to follow Jesus. Good for them. Good choice. Andrew was one of them. You all remember Andrew? Andrew went and told his brother Peter. Now, Peter didn't catch on immediately, so Jesus confronted him on another occasion uh, during a fishing trip. That's a whole other story. So, uh, but Andrew and uh, most likely James and John, uh, they follow Jesus now. They're following Jesus but John, he still has these loyal disciples. And he continues his ministry as Jesus begins his public ministry. The day would come in John chapter 3. The day would come when large crowds, larger crowds than John's, would show up at Jesus' preaching. The day would come when uh, the, the people that attended the meetings of Jesus uh, uh, were far more in number than the people that attended John's crowd. As a matter of fact, they were baptizing more. They were seeing more results. And this is what had happened. Some of uh, John's disciples came back to him in John chapter 3 and said, John, that fellow you baptized a while ago, they got more people than you. He's uh, reaching more people. I don't know why he said that. It hurt John's feelings. But he didn't hurt John's feelings because this was John's heart. John made this statement. He looked at his disciples, his loyal friends who wanted to stick with him. He looked them right in the eye and he said, let me tell you something. He must increase. I must decrease. See, when you get that right, you can get over envy, you can get over pride, you can get over selfishness. When you get that right in your head and your heart, it'll all go well. He must increase. I must decrease. 
And old John, he's telling his disciples this. Oh, but the day would come, we don't know how long after that, they'd put him in prison. And while he's in prison, old John, even John, Jesus would say this about John. Jesus would say, there's none born on earth among women that are greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said about John. You mean you include Moses there? That's what Jesus said. You include Elijah there? That's what Jesus said. Daniel? That's what Jesus said. Paul and Peter? That's what Jesus said. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. None born among uh, men that is greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. That's pretty high praise. Hello? But he said this after, after John sent messengers to Jesus while he was in prison. And you know what he said? He told his disciples, he said, go, go to that man that I baptized a while back. Jesus, go to him and ask him this question for me. And I'll say it in King James vernacular. Art thou he, or do we look for another? Did you all understand that King James vernacular? I know it's hard to understand. Art thou he, or do we look for another? So, <clears throat> what do we get there about John? Is he doubting? Oh, John has some questions. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you ever had doubts arise in your heart and your mind, welcome to the hum, human club. Yes, sir. Even John the Baptist had struggles. Yes, he did. He sends his disciples, and his disciples go there, and they listen to Jesus preach. And they witness Jesus do miracles. I mean, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, healing the lepers, uh, uh, clothing the poor, uh, feeding the hungry, and the, the great words of wisdom. And then Jesus said to them, go back and tell John everything you saw. And tell him, if he's not offended in me, I won't be offended in him either. And then after those disciples left, he looked back at that crowd who heard the question that John brought to him. He said, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Now wait a minute, I'm going somewhere with this. Here he is, oh, he's sitting in prison. He, he doesn't, I don't know if he realized this is it. I'm not, I'll never have a public ministry again. I had a short-lived ministry, and my duty was to point to the truth, to point to the truth, to reveal the truth, to dispel the truth to everybody and anybody I saw. And when I saw Jesus, I pointed him. His, that was his duty. That was his duty. And we saw a weak moment in his life. But nevertheless, uh, he finishes strong, and now he's going to be executed. And he is executed. He loses his head for the faith of Jesus Christ. But I still look at you, ladies and gentlemen, and I tell you, John... You did your job. Anybody that's an honest reader of the Bible, anybody that's an honest bystander of the things that took place, uh, would have to say, John, you did your job. Because look at verse 11 and 12 again. In verse 11 we see, And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsels, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples, that's John's, came and took up the body. And buried it. They showed reverence and respect to John, their teacher, their rabbi. They honored him as they should have. Honorable people need to be honored, amen? We honor our veterans. 
We honor people that uh, give uh, service to, diff- to public service. They honor John. But then I want you to notice, notice this last phrase, and I hope this sticks with you. It says, and went and told what? Jesus. I don't know how long these disciples had been with John. I don't know if they were there when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. I don't know. I don't know if they were there when John doubted and uh, then John received confirmation from the Lord that he was who he claimed to be. I don't know if they were there. I'm going to, my opinion is they were. In spite of all of that, they stayed with John. Now, what was John trying to do the whole time? He was trying to point people out to Jesus Christ. The prophecy about John was he was just supposed to pave the way for the king, Jesus. He wasn't supposed to draw the crowd. He was supposed to bring the crowd to Jesus, to God. Hello. Now, here's what I notice. He dies. And his disciples, what do they do? They go to Jesus. They go to Jesus. You know why I know he did his job? Because he knew where to point those fellows after he died. I mean, he'd been pointing them to the Jesus the whole time. Now, maybe in their case, they couldn't let go and go to Jesus fully until they lost him. I realize that can happen. I realize sometimes we have to lose something to be drawn or compelled to go to Jesus. I understand that. There are many in the house. There are many people I know who've went through great heartache, but the heartache brought about good because it brought them to Jesus. Hello. It brought them to Jesus. In my own family, my in-laws, a great heartache, a loss of a dear child, brought them to Jesus. I'm not joyful about their loss, but I am joyful that they went to Jesus because the result was they raised my wife as a Christian and allowed it to work out for our paths to cross. But they had to go through great grief, great heartache, great tragedy, but it brought them to Jesus. And you're always making the right choice in your time of tragedy when you go to Jesus. You're always going to the remedy when you're going to Jesus. You go to church after a great heartache, you're making the right choice if it's a church that's preaching the Word of God. But i got to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, something that stands out, just really stands out, and I think you may have already caught it. Some of you may have. What John couldn't do for those disciples while he was living in getting them to Jesus, he was able to do in dying. They went and told Jesus. What a wonderful thing if when you and I take our last breath, if we happen to do this before the trumpet, that our testimony would keep pointing people to Jesus. That the people who knew us, who knew us, 
would know where to turn because of the life we lived. Are you hearing me? There'll be, hey, listen, there'll be some people, they may not, they may never listen to us while we're living, but we can at least show them and speak to them and love them. And if that day comes and we depart before they do, we depart before that trumpet sounds, may they know where to go. They went and told Jesus. Now I know there's more to it. But I love the fact. I wonder if John was looking down from heaven saying, it's about time, fellas. It's about time. I've been pointing you to him the whole time. I've been declaring his praise the whole time. I've been telling you he must increase the whole time. I testified he was the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah, the Christ. I've been telling you that. I'm so glad you're there now. I'm so glad you're there. Is there anybody in the house that received Christ at a funeral service? Anybody here by chance that received Christ at a funeral service? All right. I was just curious. I've done a lot of funerals. Funerals are always bittersweet. Bitter, the human law, sweet, the gospel is declared. And I have no idea how people respond. Sometimes, many times, I've seen people respond immediately. And that's a great thrill. To see hands go up at a funeral service and say, I want Jesus. But either way, the good news is this. If they heard the gospel, they can't run from that. And God can speak to them day in and day out. And when they too hit crises, they'll at least know where to turn. They'll know where to turn. I'm going to finish before noon. We're on digital time. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We pray that you bless the service. We pray that you'd minister to our hearts. With our heads bowed, eyes closed, those who are going to be baptized, you may slip out of your seat at this time and get ready. Those who are are going to join the church, if you'd slip up from your seat, and you can meet my wife up here on the front row if you're going to join the church. If you want to slip up. Just meet my wife over here. But while we are in an attitude of prayer, let me ask this question. Maybe there's some, somebody in the house that'd say, Preacher, I, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not sure that I'll go to heaven. I'm just not sure in my own heart. Well, I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, would you be willing to lift your hand so I could pray for you? Is there anyone here like that at this time that say, Preacher, that's me. I am not certain that I'll go to heaven when I die. I'd like to know. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Anyone like that? Say, that, that, that's you. You're just not 100% sure. You don't want to play Russian roulette with your soul. All right. 
Father, we sure love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for John's testimony. We're thankful, Lord Jesus. They knew where to find you. They knew where to go. And they did it. May you bless this invitation. Help people to respond accordingly. May our hearts be humble before the Lord. And let him do a work in our lives. Use the altar if you need to. Feel free to pray. Lord, we love you. We ask your blessing now on the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.